welcome to everybody who's still watching from home. I hope everybody had a safe and happy 4th of July yesterday. Uh, we're going to start off with a scripture reading from the Psalms and an opening prayer with Gary. Good morning. Psalm 136, we're going to read the first three verses and then the last three verses of that chapter. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to God of the gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of the lords. His love endures forever. In our lowest state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature? His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the great love that you've shown to us through your Son. Father, we do praise you, Lord, that your love does endure forever. There's no end. Father, we just we praise you for that. Father, we thank you that as we have celebrated the 4th of July and the freedom of this country, it, can, it is so little compared to the freedom that you have provided to us through the sacrifice of your son. The freedom of sin, from sin, from the guilt. We just praise you, Lord. Father, this morning as we worship you, just open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning as we sing praises to you and to worship you through song and to hear your word through Pastor Rich as he ministers to us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, just going to go through a few announcements. Um, youth, just a reminder that you are not having regular youth meetings throughout the summer, but there will be some special events. So. Stand by for a communication on that. Um, programs are actually going to be handed out during the service. They weren't ready before you all got in here. Um, so somebody will be bringing those around to you in a little bit here. If you didn't have an opportunity to sign in when you got here, um, as part of the current protocols, we're just having everyone sign in so we know who was here. Um, and uh, just a reminder to uh, wear your masks while you're moving about, heading to the bathroom or, or talking with one another. Um, but we really encourage you to just fellowship outside after the service so that you don't have to wear your masks and you can spread out a little bit more. Um, and then a couple of important upcoming events. Alan Lang's graduation party is Sunday, July 26th at 1230 at the American Legion and all are invited and encouraged to attend. If you're watching from home, um, don't forget you can start a watch party on Facebook to invite people to attend church with you. And uh, through YouTube, uh, make sure you like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. And this week is probably the last best week to join the Wednesday Night Bible Study. They've just started the Pilgrim's Progress, so it would be really easy for you to catch up. If you'd like to join, that study runs from 6.30 to 8 here at the church on Wednesday nights. And then a reminder for junior church parents, we are meeting outside as long as weather permits right now. And we are under a shade tree, so your kids won't get sunburned. Uh, and they will be returning with me today uh, for communion at the end of the service. And I think that's all I have for announcements. Let's go ahead and sing. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever, for he is good, he is above all things. His love endures forever, sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever, for the Sing praise, sing praise. 
fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath though they found no proper ground for a death sentence they asked Pilate to have him executed and when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him. <clears throat> he, had, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm you are my son today I have become your father God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay 
as God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, <clears throat> many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. But this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women, <coughs> excuse me, incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, help us to recognize the difference between those who reject the gospel in this passage and those who receive it. Father, make us, each one of us, among those who receive it. Among those who are ready to believe who have been enlightened, made right by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize, as your word says, that our, our hearts are just not prone to receive it. So we need you. We need you to take out the heart of stone, remove our hardness, and give us a heart of flesh, soft toward you. Father, cause us today to recognize Your Son, Jesus, for who He is. Make Him so precious to us that we can't keep quiet about it. These things we pray in His name, the name of Jesus Christ who died in our place. Amen. Well, my mother-in-law took my grandkids and my daughter cherry picking the other day and something that I learned long ago about picking fruit is you pick it when it's ripe when I was a kid I used to get impatient and I would try to, to grab the, the little green apples off the tree if you've ever done that it turns your face inside out right they're hard it can hurt your teeth the pears especially we had a pear tree and if you wait for it to get ripe they're soft and juicy and sweet and delicious but if you try to get those pears before they're ripe you can break your teeth it's like biting into a bitter rock it's the same way with the human heart when we are ripe toward god 
we become soft toward Him. We become receptive. There's a sweetness that He brings in. But I can't make that pear ripe because I want it to be. And I can't make that apple or that cherry ripe because I want it to be. God does that. And when we come to Christ, we come either soft and ready to receive Him or not at all. It requires His movement in us. And all who are appointed for eternal life believe. As we look at this passage, Paul and Barnabas have gone into this mission. They, they come through Perga and they get to, uh, they go from Antioch now to another city called Antioch, Syrian Antioch. Antioch in Syria is where the, the church is really kind of uh, first established as an outpost outside of Jerusalem. That's where the Christians are first called Christians. But this Antioch, there were at least 16 cities named Antioch back at this time. When, when they get to this Antioch, it's in the region of Pisidia in modern-day Turkey. And when they get here, it's kind of a unique place. It's one of the colonies that Rome had... Predated Rome, but but Rome turned it into a colony for retired military veterans, specifically uh, the veterans of the civil wars under Augustus. He he settled them there. And when Paul and Barnabas get there, you have a mixed city. There are Jews, as there are throughout the region, so you have a synagogue. It was a Hellenistic town under the Seleucid dynasty, which is when it received its founding. It's now also a Roman town and specifically has the title of a Caesarea under the Roman law, the Italian law, so that everyone born there becomes by birth a Roman citizen. So legally you're considered as if you're being born on Italian land even though you're not. The law is a funny thing. They get here and they go to the synagogue as they generally do and they come to the people who should get it. And they tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And everything that happens next is something that we should be able to take hold of for ourselves. And if you're paying attention, you will find yourself somewhere in this passage. I pray you find yourself in the right place today. Our core reality for today as we walk through the rest of Acts chapter 13 is very simple, it's very straightforward, it's nothing clever, but it's profoundly and eternally true. Jesus Christ offers eternal life to anyone who will receive it. Jesus Christ offers eternal life to anyone who will receive it. Now let's take a look at the passage and we'll kind of uh, see how this fits as we go now notice when they get here they, they sail from Paphos where they had been verse 13 says from Paphos Paul and his companions sailed to Perga this is on the coast as they get to that what what would today be called Turkey this is in the region of Pamphylia where John also called Mark we saw him previously he had just joined them in chapter 12 now he turns back later on this will come up and this is the only thing worth recording in Perga, according to Luke's uh, account here. They get to Perga, and the only reason it's even mentioned here is because this is where John Mark turned back. It's referred to in a couple more chapters a little later on here as him deserting them. And Paul doesn't take it well. But it's only here as a side point now, setting us up. We'll come back to that in another sermon. So they go from there. Uh, John goes back to Jerusalem. Verse 14, in, uh, from Perga they went on to Antioch in Pisidia. Pisidia and Antioch. On the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. 
This is their normal thing. As Jewish men, they go to the Jewish gathering place, the church, if you will. They get to the synagogue and they do what they would normally do. They sit under those who are leading. They respond to their authority. Those who are leading, set it up with readers so that you're reading from the Old Testament. Then they would have a period of expounding and explaining that Old Testament passage. And then tradition would have whatever guests, especially Jewish rabbis, visiting rabbis, then share a word of encouragement or exhortation with the people. So as they are there, those who are leading, verse 15, invite them to do so. Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And he proceeds to lay out for them the good news. So as we see this, you want to notice what Paul is going to share. In this good news, he starts by identifying with them. This is a good place for all of us to start when we're recognizing the good news and sharing the good news. We all start from a common place. For them in particular, they have a unique common place in that you have Jews with Jews saying here as the people of God men of Israel and those of you who are here who were not born of Israel but recognize in your hearts that there is one true and living God the God Yahweh the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob you're here because you recognize that there is truth and you want to be on board there maybe not full proselytes some may be some may not be but they're here because they recognize god they are at the very least monotheists which is a very minority position in this world and he goes on to to explain to them the history of god working in israel Verse 17, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. God reached down into humanity and said, this group of people, he goes to great lengths to tell Israel, it's not because you're good. It's not because you chose me. You're not good, and you didn't choose me. I chose you while you would sooner spit at me as look at me. I reached in and I chose you. He says, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. Perhaps they, they read Psalm 136 as we did. They would have read the whole thing. And the congregation responding, his love endures forever as they recount the great and mighty deeds of God in delivering the people. So as he shares this with them, can you hear the amens? Can you hear the people saying, yeah, Paul, preach. God chose us. In all that, verse 18 says, for about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan. He brought them into the promised land and God overthrew these nations. Not Israel's might, God's might. Giving their land to His people as their inheritance. God gave it to them. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel. Samuel the prophet was the last judge of Israel before God would give them kings. After also advising them that you're not going to like it. But since you asked for it, here you go. And He gives them Saul, son of Kish, who turns his back on God's covenant and does his own thing, and God rejects him. And then verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after, after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And in 2 Samuel 7, which I failed to include in your program, in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a promise to David. He almost does it sarcastically. He makes this promise to David after using a little bit of a, of a, uh, a mockery, saying, really, David? David wants to build a temple for God. And God says, did I ask you for a temple? What's more, do you think that 
you with the blood on your hands as the warrior that you are are the right person to build me a temple but David check this out I'm going to build a temple I'm going to build it on you from you will come one who will deliver the people and I will manifest myself in this Messiah David's promise we call it the Davidic covenant starts there and carries on and all the promises that God makes to David are later fulfilled as Paul will say in just a moment in Jesus Christ check it out verse 23 from this man's descendants God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised before the coming of Jesus John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel an allusion to the Elijah who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah as John was completing his work he said I ain't him but he's coming verse 26 fellow children of Abraham don't you love don't you just love how Paul connects with them it's not hey you better get this it's we're in this together I'm in the same boat as you and I'm only saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ fellow children of Abraham I'm one of you listen listen to what the Lord is telling us he made a promise he keeps the promise and the Savior has been sent fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent I think it's interesting that he includes here in verse 26 the God-fearing Gentiles as if they are also of Israel fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles it is to all of y'all no no it is to us we are one group later on in Romans Paul will emphasize and clarify for us that not everybody who is from Abraham's gene pool or Abraham's tradition is a child of Abraham but those who are children of Abraham by faith those who believe what Abraham believed who trust in what Abraham trusted in those are the children of the promise and he includes here the Gentiles in it. Verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Pause right there and turn back in your Bibles to John chapter 1. It's the book right before Acts. It's the chapter at the beginning of the book. John chapter 1. Remember what we just read in Acts as you hear this. John records, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He alludes here, John does, just as Luke does in Acts, or as Paul uh, does to these folks in Antioch in Acts. And Luke records it. He talks about John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not the one writing the book, but the baptizer. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, just as Paul had shared. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him he came not only to humanity but specifically to Israel they did not recognize him they did not receive him verse 12 yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God that's a verse worth memorizing isn't it I want to read that again and continue 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word. We know that Word as Jesus Christ became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Back to Acts. Verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning Him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about Him, notice everything that happened to Him was written about Him, was prophesied centuries before the men of God spoke the Word of God to the people of God about the Anointed One who would come from God, who would be the suffering servant, Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Now, a couple of interesting points. He was prophesied that he would die on a cross centuries before crucifixion was a form of dying. It was prophesied that he'd be laid in a tomb as they did here. But those who were crucified generally were not laid in a tomb but thrown into a mass grave this is a unique death they laid him in a tomb verse 30 but God maybe the two most important words in scripture but God raised him from the dead and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem we know from Paul's later account we're talking about up to 500 people. They, those who were with him, are now his witnesses to our people, the people of Israel. We tell you the good news. He now includes himself with these witnesses. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And he goes on to quote the Psalms that are fulfilled here. And it's proclaimed, as he says, that Jesus Christ brings the forgiveness of sins. Just as we see in our core reality, Jesus Christ offers eternal life to anyone who will receive it. Notice in your first point under good news, I wanted to take a little bit more time with this in developing the idea of the gospel here. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone has eternal life. That by itself that simple statement captures what Paul is telling them and what Luke wants us to see from this account what God has inspired them for us to grasp here regardless of anything else everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone has eternal life we all know John 3:16 for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal, everlasting, forever life. It comes from Jesus alone. Paul points it out, doesn't he? In Christ you have forgiveness of sins. You are free. Free from this bondage, from this enslavement to sin. Not to systems, not to your, your place in society, not to your ethnicity, your tradition, your religion. You are, you are free from enslavement to sin. It's not about economics. It's not about Jew or Gentile. It's not about skin color. It's not about whether you are, for us, American. I love America. That has nothing to do with the eternal reality that we are dead and enslaved. We are dead in our sin and we need to die to ourselves that we might have life in Christ. 
We are enslaved by sin, and we can only be set free, not by the law, not by the doing of things, but by the things that Jesus has already done. This is the good news. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone has eternal life. Notice, as he proceeds through this passage, as we, as we see Luke write this down for us, that there are no passes. There is good news, but there are no passes. Nobody gets out any other way. So he spells this out for them, and they get a good response. But notice in verse 44 what happens. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Do you know that people are hungry for Jesus? The devil wants us so much to have prosperity and comfort so that we will be satisfied in this life. So we'll be satisfied and not hungry for Jesus. But this world cannot satisfy us. It can't. And when people see the true gospel, two things happen. Those who are ripe, they come flocking for it. Those who are still hard and bitter fruit, they become riled up against it. Truth divides. Notice here, verse 44, the, the whole city almost is gathering. Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Now don't be confused, it's not all the Jews. Presumably the leaders. The unripe Jews, you might say, because we, we already see in the verses before this that many Jews were coming in response. And we'll see this later as well. So many Jews are turning to Christ. But as a body, as a group, they're not. They're filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heap abuse on him. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Romans 1.16, salvation is... Through the gospel, we find the power for salvation first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it. <laughs> I love how he puts it on them. You reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. God's offering it. And you think there's some other path? You obviously don't think you're worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Notice, he's quoting an Old Testament passage that's 750 years prior to this in Isaiah 49. As God says through Isaiah and to Isaiah, it's too small a thing for you to share the word just with my people. You'll be a light to the Gentiles that my salvation will come to all the earth. And he goes on to develop that idea so this isn't new. Salvation for the Gentiles was always God's plan. Paul recognizes that. So as he moves forward in a new direction, he's looking backward to recognize this was always God's direction. You had your first crack at it, but you threw your ticket away. There are no passes. Mark this down. Advantage only matters if you act on it. Advantage only matters if you act on it. Hmm. In dealing with this idea of Jew versus Gentile in Romans 3, <coughs> Romans 2, 3, and bleeds into 4, and picks it up again in 9, 10, 11, Paul says, but is there, is there any advantage then in being a Jew? Much, in every way. Salvation is from the Jews. The Word of God was delivered to the Jews. So Israel is where the Word of God comes to the entire world, where we get to see not only the beauty and the, the, the nature of God in creation, including His wrath, but we get to see the character and heart of God in this special divine revelation of His Word. That all comes through Israel, through the Jews. Much advantage in every way. However... In the same passage, he talks about the Jews rejecting it, just as we see here. In Matthew 22, this is written for you in your program. This can be your homework. You can check it out for yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, 
Jesus tells a parable about a king who throws a wedding banquet for his son. And he invites all the special, noble, good, advantageous, if I can say, privileged people. And the privileged people, those who are invited, ignore it. They don't act on the invitation. They've been called, but they don't come. So he says, all right. And he sends his servants out into the world. He says, those who were invited didn't come. So go now into the highways and byways of life and bring everybody. Call them all. And the ones who come are the ones who belong here. The ones who come maybe didn't have the advantage, but if they act on this invitation, it's because their eyes have been opened. In that same parable, somebody shows up without wearing wedding clothes. The picture here is they show up without the clothing of righteousness, the acts that belong. They're kicked out. You don't belong here. You didn't come dressed. You've got to come dressed. The good news of the gospel is the righteousness, the dress, the, 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 the banquet clothes are the clothes of Christ. We're dressed in His righteousness alone, as the hymn says. But you've got to come. You've got to act on it. And you've got to dress for the party in the righteousness of Christ. Or you will not be received. There are no passes. Advantage only matters if you act on it. And he turns this outside in. The next verse shows what happens. After they answer them boldly, and they say, all right, you didn't consider yourselves worthy. Verse 47, uh, sorry. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. This may be the most central verse, the pivot verse in this entire passage. This piece where he, where he confronts the rejecting Jews and we see the rejoicing of the receiving Gentiles is sort of the climax of this whole story. This turns the rest of the book of Acts. Up until now, it's been primarily focused on sharing the gospel within Israel. And we saw from the persecution by the Jews, the people of God who did not recognize Christ and had Him killed, that that persecution forced them out into Judea and Samaria. And as they went back to these different places and they spread out among the different cities and regions, they kept preaching the gospel. And we end up now here in these Gentile lands, here in Pisidia, in the city of Antioch, and the gospel is being preached. And the Gentiles, the outsiders, are being brought in. The outsiders are receiving what the insiders did not. Write this down. No one who comes to Jesus for salvation is turned away. No one who comes to Jesus for salvation is turned away. Jesus said in John 6, no one who comes to me, I, no one, anyone who comes to me, I will never, in no way, at any point, cast out. They won't be turned away. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. You're not good enough to get in and you're not bad enough to over, overpower the grace of God in Christ. Nobody is an outsider to the invitation. No one who comes to Jesus for salvation is turned away. And notice in the second part of that verse... All who were appointed for eternal life believed. Those who receive Christ are called and appointed. At the end of that parable in Matthew 22, Jesus said, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. The invitation is there, but, but very few come. Jesus emphasizes this smallness 
of the number of people, the percentage, if you will, of people who will receive the gospel. It's open to everyone, but there's a narrow gate. You can't take the broad way. You can't go down the highway the way the rest of the world is, following, for those of you who are in our Pilgrim's Progress study, Mr. Worldly Wiseman. You can't take the wisdom of the world and think you can get rid of your burden. There is only one way. You must go through the narrow gate. Jesus is that gate. You must take the narrow, straight, difficult path to the celestial city. And if you do not, you won't arrive at that destination. Write this down. Not everyone who ought to get it does. Not everyone who ought to get it does, but everyone who is meant to get it will. Might be hard to understand. Might be harder to accept. Not everyone who ought to get it does, but everyone who is meant to get it will. You do not become a Christian by going to church. Church is for Christians. And the gospel is preached. You can find the gospel in a Bible teaching church. We will always be a Bible teaching church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car or a pile of junk in my garage. That's good you must respond to the gospel invitation. Israel, these Jews in Antioch, and so much of evangelical Protestant Christianity today, we're sitting in chairs and pews with Bibles stacked up on our shelves doing nothing because the invitation is sitting there unopened. We think somehow we got it in. We saw this for centuries in the church, pre-Reformation and in what was the church. Now we see it in the Roman Catholic Church. We see it in the Protestant Church. We see it everywhere people call themselves Christians as a form of religion. We don't open the invitation. We somehow think doing things, belonging, being a member of a church, important, we've been talking about that, but that is not the gate. Jesus is the gate. I gotta die. I have to be crucified with Christ. Then I live. Not everyone who ought to get it does. Growing up in church, there, there are many advantages to that. But growing up the right way will not make you a Christ follower. It will not save you. Nor does growing up in a bad home, on the wrong side of the tracks, not in church, maybe as an atheist, maybe as a Satanist, Growing up in that environment does not preclude you from salvation. No one is too far. It's only one step to the cross. But everyone has to come through the cross. Not everyone ought to get it does. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not an educational thing. It's not a socioeconomic thing. It's not a cultural thing. Christianity is not a white man's religion or a black man's religion or an American religion or a Western religion. The very nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very nature of what we know as the Holy Bible, the Scriptures, God's Word, is that this is truth. All other competing truth claims are falsehood from hell. There is no in-between. There is no wiggle room. Not everyone who ought to get it does. Intellect, background doesn't fix it. It requires a, a change of your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Everyone who is meant to get it will. When God reaches in to your hostile, sinful heart and says, this one is mine, then you will get it. Your eyes will be opened. It doesn't mean you understand everything. But He changes your affection. When God quickens you, when the Holy Spirit comes into you and says, this one 
is mine. You still have to respond. You still have to make a choice. But now you want to. Notice the difference. Jews and believing Gentiles gathered together in one building hearing the same word of God, hearing the same gospel preached by Paul. Some say, hey, we'd like to hear more on this. Come back next week talk to us some more. Some follow Paul and Barnabas out of the building. Say, I got to hear more now. Tell me more about Jesus. Help me find life. Or as they said to Peter in Acts 2, what must I do to be saved? When your eyes are open, this is what matters to you. Everyone who's meant to get it will. Maybe not now. Just because someone doesn't get it now doesn't mean that God isn't calling them tomorrow or next week or five years from now. But listen, if you're hearing this word today, don't wait. Because you don't know how many moments you've got left. If you're feeling God tugging at your heart, saying, i got to do something about this, don't say tomorrow. Oh man, there's a great song in the 80s by the Winans. Check it out. Google it. Pull it up. Tomorrow by the Winans. Who promised you tomorrow? You better choose the Lord today because tomorrow very well may be too late. If you have chosen Him, if you have been called and appointed and you have believed, then you will get it. And you need to act on it. Lastly, we see that there's no room. Now, this sounds maybe perhaps exclusive. If it is, then we're not seeing the right thing. There is no room in their hearts for despair when things go wrong because they are filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. Notice in verse 52, after Paul and Barnabas are expelled from the city, after the Jews have incited the people. Even the God-fearing women of the, you know, the leading women, the leading men. Interesting, this is God-fearing women and leading men. So the leading men have some power. The God-fearing women that are here are monotheists at the least, but they're being stirred up. They're not, at least yet, receiving the gospel. They're stirred up against them. When this happens, Paul and Barnabas expelled from the region. Verse, 30, verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, modern city of Konya. And that shaking the dust off their feet, was a, that was a traditional uh, expression of detestation by the Jews. They were so put off by Gentiles that they didn't even want the Gentile dust in their cities. So when they would enter Israel, when they would enter their lands, when they would enter their cities, they would symbolically shake the dust off their feet. I don't need no Gentile dirt in my place. going to defile our holy cities. Paul and Barnabas do the same thing to them. They shake the dust off their feet. said, you reject the gospel you're no better than the unbelieving gentiles he treats them as pagans as heathens you reject the gospel you don't count yourself worthy of life i'm going to go to those who will those who will receive it those whom god has changed and turned their affection away from the world toward the kingdom and see what happens in 52. After all of this stirring up persecution, we read, just, it pivots on a dime here. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Write this down. When the Holy Spirit floods us with joy, bad circumstances cannot stop the flow. When the Holy Spirit floods us with joy, bad circumstances cannot stop the flow. We were at Turkey Run uh, a week or so ago, however long it was. I, I don't remember. Was it a week? And <laughs> my sister tried to die. And so we got caught in these flash floods. And so Suzanne 
she trusted us and, and, and sold out and got, got out uh, from this flash flood area. Ricky and Josh were down trying to, to help Heidi, who was still struggling to get out. It was a little scary. My brother had a brilliant idea. What if I go get a log, right? What if I go get a log and we can kind of brace it up? And then he thought about it. He said, uh, if this doesn't work, that log becomes a projectile, right? Well, what if we go get some rocks and try to stem the tide here, hold back the water? And Josh pointed out, are you kidding me? Do you see the water? You can't stop that flow. Maybe you can hope to slow it down. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. You can't stop the flow when the flood is rushing in. And no amount of bad circumstances could dam up the flow of the Holy Spirit flooding through them, filling them with joy. This idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that they were completely controlled. Not just that the Holy Spirit lived in them, but that they were controlled by the Holy Spirit. They had abandoned themselves to Him. And no amount of persecution could steal their joy. Their circumstances were bad. I don't know if we get that enough. We keep thinking if we pray for better circumstances, God will help us, and and then we'll have faith when we see God move. If you don't have faith, how do you expect to see God move? Trust His Word. Trust His promise. Don't trust your own eyes, your own feelings, your own understanding. They believed, therefore they were filled with joy. And because it was coming from the spring of the Holy Spirit and overflowing, filling the canyons of their hearts and lives, the joy poured out and nothing, no amount of persecution could stop it. Let's wrap this up. Jesus Christ offers eternal life to anyone who will receive it. Understand that the Lord has called you to be His. Every single one of you have been called. If you have heard this message, you have been invited. You have been called. Your response determines whether or not you actually are His. Growing up the right way won't do it. Growing up the wrong way can't keep you from it. The question for each person I wish I could look you each in the eye and name you by name just as I have to do in the mirror for myself. The question for each person is whether or not you will receive it. Whether you will receive it as a seed in fertile soil. Whether you will be soft to God. Is your your heart ripe and soft toward God? Or is it hard and bitter? What will you do with His invitation? And if you're coming to His banquet, if you've acted on that invitation, you've responded and you have received Him, and you've said, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Save me. And you have become a child of God because that's the promise. If you receive Him, you are a child of God. You don't earn it. You don't work toward it. You don't get to climb the ladder so that sometime you can become a child of God. You are a dearly loved, wholly accepted child of the King. And if you have done that, don't come alone. Whomever you bring will be welcomed if they come dressed in His righteousness, just the same as you will. If Christ is precious to you, how can you shut up about it? If Christ is precious to you, how can you consider the world to be precious any longer? How can the things that won't last block you from treasuring the one reality that will last forever. Let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, it is in Christ alone we place our trust. Father, you have placed all of our hope in Him. Teach us also to place all of our hope in Him. Father, as we wrap up today, as we receive the elements of the remembrance, celebration, and communion, as we see what Christ did for us, help us with all of our being to turn our eyes upon Jesus. To look full in His wonderful face. So that the things of this life, the things of earth, might grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We pray this in His name. Amen.